Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at DeMassimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. Today, I get to talk to Jamie Barrett. I'm a huge fan. Uh, I was a little bit fanboy with him, I think. It's hard not to be. The guy has worked at all the great agencies, um, Fallon and Wyden and Shiat and Goodby Silverstein. And now he runs his own place, Barrett SF in San Francisco. And he has written all your favorite ads, uh, Frozen Moment for Nike, Toy Boat for eBay, Saturn Sheet Metal. Just look these things up. They're incredible. And I'm just scratching the surface there with the amount of great work he's done. And what a nice guy. We talk about how he got into the business. We talked about how, how teaching tennis turned him into a, to a good uh, leader. We talked about windsurfing on the French Riviera. We talked about Princeton. You know, Princeton. A few of the great moments he had at uh, all these agencies and, and the time he, you know, he started as, a, as an account guy and the time he kind of left his portfolio on Tom McGillicott's chair hoping that he wouldn't get fired and that maybe he would become a, a writer and uh, tune in to see what happens next. And now here's my conversation with Jamie Barrett. Hey, Jamie Barrett. Hey, Tom Christman. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, we met for the very first time uh, out at the Ad Age Small Agency Conference uh, this year in Marina del Rey, and you were gracious enough to say that you would hop on the phone. Yeah, it was, it was an excellent 90-second conversation. I remember it well. <laughs> well, you were talking to other very tall people, and I'm six foot one, but I was, uh, I was, the, uh, I was the spud web in your group there. Yeah, if you if you were six four, or so we would have talked much longer. Right, but, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, so, I'd like to start with where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, my parents still live in the same house where I grew up. Oh wow! It's going on, yeah, like like sixty years now. Uh, one Rockwood Lane spur. If anybody wants to do a drive by. <laughs> Grand Yeah. Um, say hi to Johnny and Lucy. Yeah. Um, and what what, yeah, were, no, what did Johnny and Lucy do? What were their? Uh, well, what, what yeah, like? yeah, yeah. It's a good question because it, it, it's going to lead to the fact that advertising absolutely never occurred to me as, as a profession until after college. But my dad uh, was and is. It was his eighty third birthday yesterday. Actually, a little shout out. Oh, happy birthday! to Dad Barrett, but um, he was and is a, uh, an investment counselor in New York. He's had his own um, firm and has had his own firm for many, many years, uh, since he was 30 years old, so 53 years. Wow. He still works every day, and he, so he's a finance guy. And so, you know, that's what I knew growing up is, you know, I was sort of surrounded by, uh, obviously, my dad and and. and Years of his that were in, in worlds like, you know, Greenwich is a a, uh, a suburb of a commuter town for New York City, and I think the vast majority of the parents of my friends were were going into New York City and doing big business things and finance things, and uh, that's sort of what I knew in terms of what, what jobs consisted of when I was little. What was your What was your very first job ever? You mean at post college? No, I mean like as a maybe as a kid. Did you work at a grocery store or what? Yeah, um, 
I would say my first job ever was I was a, a camp counselor. I know I'll go for, even further back than that. I was a I was a newspaper boy at a newspaper route. Yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for that. People used to get uh, newspapers delivered to them. <laughs> yeah, this is this is back in the late twenties. Yeah, yeah, approximately. Right. No, this is this is actually back. This is like uh, I was I was a newspaper boy in the I guess it was the early seventies, mm-hmm. uh, and I had about a mile and a half route with about probably forty or fifty newspapers I had to deliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Greenwich Times, and I think I made I think I might have made I'm probably gonna get this wrong. I want to say I made like two dollars a day or something. Right. You know. And but but the big money, the big dough was in the tips. Oh yeah, they put them in there in, the, in a little envelope. Yeah, I could probably double that money uh, by the end of the year. Woo. But yeah, I did, I did, I did the, um, and, and that was that was good. It was um, I'd have to fold all the newspapers and and get them in my Stingray bicycle and cruise around a mile and a half, and this was all after school. And I suppose that was my first job. I hadn't thought about that for a million years. But <laughs> That was my first, and then and then after that, I I, I got a, I was kind of lucky in that I got a lot of jobs at camps where I was a counselor, and I played a lot of tennis as a kid, and I so I, I kind of parlayed that into tennis teaching jobs over the years, and right. did a lot of that. Yeah. So you're always teaching and coaching um, from from that age, even. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. I, I, in, in hindsight, I never really put those two things together, but you're right. I. I I was able to, as early as probably 15, I was teaching clinics of younger kids uh, tennis. And um, actually, it was funny. I, was, I would be a hitting partner for, for older people, too. Right. I did a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, tennis became a way to make a little bit of money and, and, and have a, quote, job. And I suppose you're right. I was sort of coaching and teaching, in a sense, back then. And. And it, but it didn't, you know, it was good in the sense that it was, it didn't feel, I, I know a lot of people, that was a pretty cush job, relatively. Right, sure. I was pretty lucky. Yeah, and uh, out there on my feet and screwing around here in tennis balls. So um, that was cool. I, I will tell you, I'll, I'll segue a little, if you really want to hear about jobs going back. Mm-hmm. the So my, my freshman year summer after, so I did that through high school, and my freshman year summer, um, I, I did something that was incredibly spoiled and privileged that I got a job through a good friend of mine teaching tennis and windsurfing in on the French Riviera. Wow. And that was sort of the ultimate boondoggle, and I just sort of side-doored into that and got lucky and was invited to go along with him and, and do this thing. And I won't go too down down the wormhole telling you what it was like but the tennis part was 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 obviously fun and, and we both spoke a little bit of high school French and so yeah. we literally had to teach tennis in French we also coached windsurfing and we got we got there the day before the camp started and learned windsurfing that afternoon oh my god and then taught taught it the next morning so that was one extreme you know the so the ultimate you know ridiculous summer job where you got to go to France and uh, the French, literally the French Riviera and, yeah. and cruise around Europe before and after. And then the next summer I did the opposite. The next summer, um, my sophomore year in college, I was rightfully 
accused by my dad of being of cruising through college and, and being pretty aimless and, and unfocused and and you're, uh, and you're going to Princeton so it's not it's not cheap yeah yeah so I was sort of abusing the the the, the privilege of being at a great school and um, my dad as I told you the finance guy but he, he did spend three years in the Marines uh, after college and, oh, wow. and so and, he, and he's not like a marine like he's not he doesn't sort of call on his he doesn't sort of references military experience very often a big part of who he is but he did talk about at the time uh, he did reference that and in, in the in the context of telling me you gotta you gotta you know find some sort of direction you gotta get motivated you get, you're, you're just you're on autopilot and so I took that as a okay I will prove to you that I can I can I'll go to the Marines you know if you, if you think that's sort of the ultimate way of showing that you can handle a challenge or do something that's sort of out of your comfort zone. And clearly I was a kid from Greenwich, Connecticut, who went to prep school in Princeton and taught tennis. Yeah. Going to, going to the Marines was going to be out of my comfort zone. So I, as a way of sort of proving a point to my dad um, and saying that the hell with the hell with you, I can do this too. I went to um, what's called officer candidate school in Quantico, Virginia which is, if you know anything about that, it's effectively boot camp for for people who are going to graduate from college who want right. to become. So instead of going the enlisted route, you go the officer route. But it's a, it's basically boot camp for for officers to be. Yeah, and that was so. That was um. So you did that absolute. Yes, I did that, and I and, and literally. Uh, that was, and you you had to sign uh, up for the Marines to do that. I had to sign up for the Marines. I had to go down to the local Marine office, recruiting office in, in, in uh, somewhere in New Jersey. I can't remember where. Yeah, Fort Dix or and, somewhere and, down there. Yeah, and apply for it. And um, and I think they looked at me like, who, what, why is this guy? What, really? What, what, what is, I, th- I think I was the only guy. It turned out I went, so I went down there, and I was the only guy, I think, certainly from Princeton, maybe in the Ivy League, that at this, at Quantico, Virginia, definitely – an anomaly. Yeah, going down to to, um, to officer candidate school in, in, in Quantico, Virginia. Yeah, and I was among I was among a lot of young guys who were who wanted to make the Marines, and I, I'm, I'm sure many of them, if not most of them, did make the Marines their career. Anyway, I, it was I absolutely got uh, you know the shit kicked out of me for for the it was it was only six weeks, but it felt like. You know, it felt like six months. Right. And I, I wrote letters uh, from from home from this uh, officer candidate school that, that sent me, and if you read them today, it would sound like letters from a POW. Right. I mean... You were, I, I you had not, made a mistake in your mind? Well, not a, not even so much a mistake, so much as I, I was so taken out of my element, so taken off this, this track that I was on, that I was traumatized by it, and and, yeah. and and just you know, like, you know, telling everybody I loved them as if I thought I'd never see them again. Right? Yeah. And um, anyway, I made it through there, and I still and and, and the, you know the, the moment I got out of there, I, I immediately started feeling really great that I'd done it, and it, it's yeah. definitely been um, something that I, 
you know, I, I don't want to overplay this or overstate this, but I, I think about it, and I, I, have, I literally have dreams about it still 35 years later, and, you know, you just, it, it, I'm really glad in, in hindsight that I did something that sort of... That's crazy, uh, wrong. is what it is. Yeah, crazy, and it's sort of so out of my... So so far removed from these tracks that I have. So what have. what so, was your course? What was your track at Princeton? Like, what did you in your mind in the back of your mind? What were you thinking? I'm just gonna I'm gonna go into finance like dad at, at some point, or once I get no, it together, or writer. What I, you... I, I, there was a, there was a time when I think my dad. I have an older brother um, who who did go into finance and then actually transitioned out of that as well. But I think my dad pretty early on saw that if there was anybody who was going to follow in his footsteps. It was likely not going to be his second son, Jamie. <laughs> it, was, it was going to be his oldest son. So I think, I think it was pretty, pretty clear by high school or so that I was not going to be that guy. But, but I certainly I had no clue other than I liked sports and I liked writing. And I, and I became an English major at Princeton. And I, I combined those two words. And I thought, I'll be a sports writer. Mm-hmm. It was that dumb and that, and that simple, and uh, so that's what I thought I would I would try to do and did try to do in sort of a half-assed way coming out of Princeton, where I I worked for the the Daily Princetonian, was a sports editor at the Daily Princetonian, and wrote sports articles, and then I uh, I did some freelance sports writing out of college. Um, I don't know how much detail you want me to give you, but I, I will say my next job out of college, my first job out of college, I graduated from Princeton with a, you know, a degree in English from Princeton University, and I, you know, not unlike, um, you know, the, uh, it, 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 I took that, that great stat on my resume and turned it into a, leveraged it into a job as a uh, court reservationist and towel guy at a local gym and squash club in New York City. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I, was, I was clearly, uh, I, I was had a really strong sense of career goals and I was, and I was doing all the right things. I, I, the, the real reason I did that actually was yeah. not because I wanted to be a towel boy for the rest of my life, no, um, but because I was a squash player. And I don't even know if, you're, if your listeners know much about squash, but I, I played squash in college which is a indoor racket sport, and there was a professional circuit, and I was playing competitive squash for that first year out of college. So graduated from Princeton, went to work at the desk of a squash club, did actually some, some squash coaching at that time, yeah, um, and uh, competed in tournaments every weekend. And, but it was really me buying time. It was really me going, I don't have a clue what I want to do. Yeah. So I, I know I'm pretty good at squash. I can I can eke out a living playing professional squash and buy time to figure out what I want to do. And were you were you uh, writing on the side at that point? Were you sort of... Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So I was freelance sports writing at the time and writing mm-hmm. for some tennis and squash magazines. And I submitted a portfolio sort of blindly to Sports Illustrated and never heard from them and, and you know, kind of half-heartedly tried to figure out what I, you know, how I could start in, in sports writing. And, and, it, and it quickly became clear to me that if I was going to get it, if I was going to start in sports writing anywhere, it would probably be in some really small uh, newspaper somewhere in the Midwest for about, you know, 
ten dollars a year, and and yeah, it all sort of sounded a little like a, a long road to I wasn't sure what, and, and so I was trying to lose heart for this idea of being a sports writer, and I finally this there's there's a guy actually who was a couple of years ahead of me. He didn't even know this that he had something to do with this, but a couple of years ahead of me at Princeton, who worked, who well, I knew a little bit, who worked uh, in advertising in New York City. I think he worked, I think the agency at the time was, I want to say Dancer Fitzgerald, which nobody probably will have heard of. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, I've heard of it, of course. Uh, we've heard it on this show, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the agency that was doing... It was Cliff Freeman who was doing the, the Where's the Beef Hat yep. for, for Wendy's. I believe it was a dance for show. I might have that wrong. But this guy, um, his name was Steve Wilson. I heard from a friend of a friend, hey, do you know that Steve works on the Where's the Beef commercials for mm-hmm. Wendy's? Mm-hmm. Someone mentioned to me. And that was the first, and, and whether he actually worked on them or not, I suspect he was just in the building. Right. Where, and, 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 you know, worked was, at the place was, that did that. Yeah, yeah. But it was the first time that I, I, I sort of realized, oh, so there are people, one of whom I kind of know, who work on those, on funny commercials that I see on TV. I, I literally had not really put that together in my head. Right. That there, that is a business uh, where people go to work every day, and some of those people, you know, are by definition creative people. Who make these this fun stuff that I that I thought was, you know, at the time, where's the beef was awesome, and and so I this little light bulb went off. I went, oh god, advertising. That's that's a that's an industry. That's a job that involves writing. Yeah, they make they make those fun things like the where's the beef commercials. Maybe I should look into that. Yeah, you could end up doing sports ads, you know, and working with uh, big sports stars someday, Jamie. You should do it. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was kind of that. That was the moment. And then I said, yeah, that's it. That's it. I want to be an advertiser. And, and what did you do next? What was the next uh, step? And, and so so the next I, I turned to my dad again. And I said, Dad, do you know anybody in advertising? And I spent the next three months in New York City. Uh, it started with informational interviews with, with contemporaries of my dad and then became, you know, I, I started to tap some other resources and got referred to some places. I talked to... 15 ad agencies over the course of three months um, and was 0 for 15. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. because you didn't have a book or what was the... I, well, well, so I should tell you, my very first uh, informational interview was with a nice man at J. Walter Thompson who was the head account guy on the Burger King account. Mm-hmm. And, and I walked in there and I I dressed up in a suit because I was going for a job interview. Yeah. That's what you do. So, so I put on the one suit that, again, I think I bought with my dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he said, well, do you know much about advertising? I said, no, I really don't know that much. I'd love to hear about it. He goes, well, there are several different departments within an ad agency. There's this department, that department, and the other department. He said, but you would be an account person. <laughs> And and he literally, I literally just nodded and said, "Okay, cool. All right, so there's a place for me." Yeah. And and at the time, um, I don't want to generalize, but at the time, I think most ad agencies, there, there were some notable exceptions, sort of 
And I, I can tell you that in my interviews at that time, which was 1984 or five, mm-hmm. creative people were sort of characterized as, yeah, there's, there's, we have these creative uh, people, and they and they work in a department, and they, uh, you know, they they write stuff and put images next to the, to the writing, and they hand it to us, and then we take it from there. I mean, it was. It, it literally felt like backroom people. Yeah, yeah, and like Melrose Place, like they like they make ads on Melrose Place. Yeah, and so <laughs> it, it, it was it was presented to me in a way that made it felt sort of almost peripheral, right, to the process, and 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 uh, so funny, not that not that desirable, and and also there was there was that aspect of it, but there was also the idea of being an account person felt attainable to me. You know, I, I, I thought, you know, I, I have a Princeton degree, mm-hmm. and if I, I can interview reasonably well. I have this suit uh, that I could wear. I have, this, I have this nice, reasonably nice suit that doesn't really fit me, but I could, <laughs> I could probably get another one. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so it sort of felt like, God, I could actually get a job uh, as an account person in advertising, and that was, that was in and of itself was amazing to me. So over 15, and then long story short, I started I started buying, uh, you know, subscribing to ad age and ad week. So that was another thing you need to do to, to, to prepare yourself to get into the advertising world. So I did that. I read, I started reading about this agency called Fallon McGilligan Rice in mm-hmm. Minneapolis. Yeah. And I was not unlike the way I felt when I saw Where's the Beef. I, I saw some of their work or read about some of their work because at the time you couldn't just see some of their work. It was running in the Midwest and there was yeah. no internet. Uh, but I read about some of their work and, and I thought, God, that sounds really fun. They were doing things like chickens parachuting into battlefields, just, just crazy stuff. Uh, that's kind of fun. And so I contacted them out of nowhere. And I think they were, at the time, you know, probably three or four years into their history. And I think they were very surprised and kind of taken by the fact that some guy from the East Coast was contacting them. You know, they were, they were that. Sure. They were that small. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that small, that early in their history, and so this will give you a sense of sort of that, that, that the time I, I was. I called them up and I said, "Hey, uh, I'm Jamie Barrett. I, I'm, I'm, I live in New York City. I subscribe to Ad Age. I read about you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm an English major at Princeton. Uh, I'd love to talk to somebody about your agency." And they said, "Well, you know." Um, Interesting that you called at this moment and that you're in New York because Pat Fallon and Tom McGilligan are going to be in New York next Tuesday or something for some meeting. And so literally, they said, well, would you like to go out to dinner with them? Oh, my God. Uh, what, what are the odds? That's they, incredible. It was incredible. They're, they're sort of that small that they were sort of intrigued that, that, that someone from New York, the big yeah. city, I had contacted. So I I did it with them. That went well enough that they said, well, let's take a chance on this guy. And I finally broke my Oprah streak. And I went one for 16 after going to Oprah 15. And they gave me a job. And I started uh, a $16,000 a year job as a junior account person at, at Fountain. What What was that um, dinner like? What like you did you did you read up on them before having dinner? Like what what did what do you do I, before you have it. dinner with uh, who are really ad gods and you don't you don't really know it yet? Yeah, they 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 won ad age eighth of the year I think right around that time or right after that time. So they were just 
getting starting to get written about, and then they, they you're right, they, they both became icons. I mean, um, I was just looking up Tom McGilligot's. I just went through with my teams all of his headlines and his print ads, and it just doesn't get any better. It's uh, it's yeah, amazing. He was, and he, he was amazing. He's still amazing. He's not doing advertising anymore. But yeah. so I'll give you I'll give you a quick snapshot of that. I went to their hotel. Uh, and wait, you know, the, the idea was I was going to meet them in the lobby and then we're going to walk to some restaurant. I went to the hotel. I didn't really know what they looked like. <laughs> I sat down in the lobby and a guy came out of the elevator about a minute later and sat down, you know, five feet from me. And we sat there silently and kind of looked at each other awkwardly and kept sitting there and <laughs> didn't talk and looked at each other awkwardly for about a good 10 minutes. And then another guy came out of the elevator, a shorter guy, and he kind of walked up, and he goes, you must be Jamie Barrett. I'm Pat Fallon. And, and, and I go, yeah, nice to meet you, Mr. Fallon. And he goes, and of course, you've obviously met Tom. <laughs> no, no, I haven't met Tom. <laughs> Tom McElligot is, is brilliant. You should, you, should, you should do a podcast with him. Oh, I, wanna, I, I would love to. If you could yeah, uh, hook us up, we'd, we'd love to have him well, on. I would, I would be honored. Yeah. Talk about geniuses. But, you know, he, he was just an incredibly bright. I think he would be self-described. He would say he's, he's very introverted. Um, you know, uh, is, is, is sort of keeps to himself. Is, is ultimately very intense and can be very verbal when he wants to. Clearly, on paper, he can. Yeah. But just a very quiet, quiet guy. And Pat, if you heard about him or ever met him, he unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. But he was the ultimate sort of just a incredibly joyful, outgoing, funny Irishman, and, and just uh, made me made me comfortable right away. And, we went to dinner, and I think Tom probably spoke a little bit, but it was really the Pat show and just talking to Pat and, and um, trying to keep up with them. And um, I think that uh, it went well enough that they thought, well, we'll take a chance on this guy. And so that was it. I mean, they gave me my big break, and then they gave me my, my second big break. About a year later, I was... <laughs> Tell me when I'm giving you too much background. No, I love I, this. This is great. So all, so you're, 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 you spend... How, how long did you spend there? Ten years? Nine years? No, it took five and a half years. Five and a half years. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I went. So I went. Up, so, so I went up there and, and uh, probably got another little fitting suit and rotated them yeah. uh, and went into work every day. And, and so after that year, I'll, I'll sort of cut to to punchline on this. Um, I, I decided early on that I wanted to be a writer. You know, once I once I got in the, in the building there and I was sitting across from really talented people. Uh, and seeing, oh, right, it's the creative people who make the work, and uh, it's the writers and the art directors that are sitting in the rooms and laughing and generating all the stuff. Um, I became a, a major creative wannabe and used to hang out with them and get in their way, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure a way that was, they were very patient with me, but I'm sure it was very annoying. I used to show them my own ideas. And, yeah. You know, and, and so... They ended up helping me, some of the guys there, um, uh, putting together a, a very rudimentary portfolio because I, I decided about six or eight months into it that I, I, I'm willing to lose this job um, as an account person at an agency that I loved 
uh, in the pursuit of trying to find a job as a writer somewhere because mm-hmm. I knew that's what I wanted, wanted to do. And so I got a, a, a book together of sorts. It was literally on, um, you know, tracing paper, just very, very rudimentary, but it was kind of a writer's book with, with some help from the art directors there. Um, just like mar- marker well, comps and yeah, sketches? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very old school. And, um, I left it on Tom. I was too too nervous to actually approach anybody, so I left it on Tom McGilligan's chair one day mm-hmm. with a little note. And I knew it was kind of a suicide mission because I knew once I did that, I'd be done as an account person. You know, but I just said I wanted to be a writer, and I'd love for you to, to give me some. And I was, I was, they were very friendly to me there, but I was, I was pretty removed from Tom's world. I, I knew Tom, right? You know, because it was only about forty people, but I was pretty removed from his world. Anyway, I left it on his chair. About an hour later. I got a call. We, we all had phones at our desk. Yeah. It said Pat Fowler, Pat Fowler would like to, you to come down to his office right now. Uh oh. And I thought, exactly. I thought, well, That's I guess it. I'm going to go back to Connecticut and start over with yeah. the 15th season rejected me before. So I went downstairs, walked into his office, and, and he was sitting there with Tom McGilligan and the two other partners at the time, Fred Sen and Irv Fish. And Pat looked at me and he said, burn your suits. You're going to be a writer. Wow. It was pretty cool. And That's amazing. Tom shook my hand. Yeah. They all shook my hand. And uh, I think that was probably a Thursday or Friday. And Monday I came in, dressed a little more casually, and started as a writer. And as a writer, who was is, who is your first... What was your first thing you worked on? What was your uh, what what lessons did you learn in that first few months? And and um, I'm really interested in in partners and how you yeah. sort of like connected with them and all that. Yeah. Well, I was extremely intimidated, even though the creative people that I should name some of them, there people like Bob Barry and uh, people heard of him. These people, <laughs> uh, yeah, Tom Lichtenheld. Who's now a highly successful children's author? Yeah, the art director there, Kuman um, Pertavari, Rob Dalton, um, uh, Mike Fazan. There were there were a ton of great Dean Hansen, awesome sort of all star lineup of art directors who were incredibly uh, patient and cool with me, and were willing to hang. And we were willing to partner and do you know, take on assignments with this guy who had been a really shitty account person the week before <laughs> uh, and and uh, and sort of coached me up and and, and and so I had amazing mentors the, the other advantage I had was I did know them a little bit you know I've been there for about uh, was coming up on a year and so I had a little background with them as people right and and some of them had helped me as I said sort of cobble together my book and so it was a, it was Totally um, by happenstance, but incredibly serendipitous that I was, I, I didn't realize it, but I'd been getting advertising school training for that, that first nine months. Yeah. Just by being in, in the hallways, and, and then all of a sudden I was working with these great people. Um, and so I worked on, I worked on mostly print back then. I, did, I remember my first radio assignment was, was incredibly scary because then I was really on my own. But yes, uh, but I, I'd say that first six months or so was just cranking out print, and um, 
and that was the kind of stuff I'd put in my book, and so it was somewhat familiar to me, and I was able to contribute on some level. I'm sure I was being carried by, by most of those guys, but yeah. that was a nice indoctrination into advertising that I was, I was writing fractional newspaper ads and um, TV guide ads and, and things yeah. that were not not critical to the success of Tell them to go get rice, but that I can sort of cut my teeth on. And so today they'd be banner ads and social posts, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, it was sort of, and, and, and I don't want to, I mean, they gave me some opportunities. I don't want to make it sound like they gave me crap, but they, but I no, definitely, right. they, they, they eased me into it. And we were producing a ton of work back then. I mean, it was, it was sort of a print factory in the, in the mid late eighties. And I, I got caught up in that wave and was fortunate that I was producing a lot of work very quickly. Yeah. Um, and then I remember one turning point was, and that was great. Uh, I was learning from some of the best, and they were at that time and, and going forward for many years, probably the most awarded agency in the country, or if not the world. I mean, they were doing a lot of great work. And so I was able to sort of, again, use the same phrase, side door into that action and, and become uh, a part of it. So. About six months into it, maybe a little less than that, I was clearly the most dramatically uh, the most junior person in the department of about probably 15 people. Mm -hmm. Um, They hired a woman, a woman, and that was another sort of big moment for them because it was an all-male creative department. And Angela Dunkel, who I'm still friends with, um, from, I think she went to Art Center in L.A. as a junior art director, and they paired us up. And that was a big moment for me because all of a sudden I was the senior guy. <laughs> <laughs> let me show you the ropes, Angela. Yeah, yeah. Let me show you how it's done, Angela. And so I was able and you know, to be feel like, God, maybe I know a little bit here and I can I can lead a little bit. I can and Angela uh was awesome and a, a great person to work with and um we, you know, I ended up spending probably a third of my time working with her. And once I was able to, and then I had to actually present the work myself versus, you know, uh, completely deferring to everybody else. Yeah. It relates to clients. And, and so it was a good, it was a good growth experience for me. And, um, and Fallon at the time, well, there were some exceptions, but I worked probably, I worked with everybody there at one point or another. I didn't have, maybe because nobody would have me, but I, I didn't have a, a permanent partner. I just sort of, I was just incredibly hungry, and I'll work on anything you want me to, from new business to, you know, fractional ads the size of, you know, one, two inches by two inches. We we had the Wall Street Journal account. I remember a lot of the stuff I was doing. It was literally, I think, it might have been like two inches by two inches in the lower right-hand corner of the Wall Street Journal. Right. So I read, I read these, like, six-word headlines, the equivalent of a billboard. Yeah. So um, I... Uh, you know, so I said, so working with Angela, I think, was, was a bit of a turning point for me, and, and, and I just continued to just churn, and they were, uh, they helped me and empowered me, and I stayed there for five years, and then uh, Tom left Fallon McGilligan. Tom McGilligan left Fallon McGilligan. Uh, there were some circumstances around that, which which I won't go into, but he, he left uh, and ended up going to Shiat Bay, and he hired me over to Shia Day. So that was my next stop. I went to Shia Day in New York uh, and sort of followed Tom. Oh, in New York. 
Wow. Another, yeah. Another one that came through Chayette. So many, so many of us, I can say, because I came through there as well, uh, and ended up going through there. It's such a, it's such a hub of talent. Myself yeah. excluded. <laughs> no, that was great. And, and, and I, I can, I can sort of race to, to where I'm at now if you want, but, but I, I spent about a year, not quite a year at, at, at Chayette, but it was, a, it was a, a meaningful year because I, Again, worked with a lot of great people. I partnered with uh, a guy named Cabell Harris, who's a great friend. Yeah, of day. he's got his own place uh, now, right? Called Work, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's an awesome friend and an awesome art director, and was was more absolutely more experienced than I was at the time. It was my first job as an ACD. I went from being a writer and yeah, I to an ACD at What is the difference? Was, when, when did you When did you start to become a leader? It sounds like you were. Uh, it, I do think that the the experience of of teaching the kids and and uh, and camps and 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 tennis instructing probably did help you to sort of put a frame around that. But w- what did you have to relearn to be a boss as opposed to being uh, the doer? Well, I think I, I you know I, in hindsight I, I think that the, the fact that I was taken such good care of at at Fallon, yeah, Fallon because. Tell Miguel to get right at the time was probably again. This is all in hindsight. I wasn't sort of processing it, but I think they, they showed me a great example. I mean, they were incredibly talented Midwestern people who had all the time in the world for me, and you know, didn't make me feel like an idiot when I showed them things that were idiotic. You know? Yeah, uh, and, and uh, um, sort of led with the positive, and it made it feel like I could. I could get stupid and, and, and expose myself and my ideas to, to them in ways that would be, would be ultimately would involve some judgment, but wouldn't be judgmental. Yeah. And if that, if you, you know, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And so I think I took that attitude to, to, uh, to creative directing at, at Shy and later at, at Wyden and, and, and Gibby and, and still today. At yeah. Stuff, but, um, I just never. I never. There were. There have been a few people in my life that, that did make me feel like shit when when I had when I had shit to show. Which right. Is, we all do. Yeah. You know, we, we're not. We're not coming about a thousand. Yeah. And I. I definitely didn't want to be, on the receiving end. I didn't want to be on the receiving end of that kind of creative direction, and I didn't want to be delivering that kind of creative direction. Right. And I actually, I think there's a there's a fine line. You don't want to be good cop your old, your whole career or you won't bring the best out of people but I definitely try to then and now to um, be critical in ways that make people feel as they walk out the door like man I just got 30 things killed and, I'm, and I feel good <laughs> because I, I mean if that's possible yeah so, yeah uh, that, that, that's definitely the way I try to push it back, back then it's shy and, and continue to back then it's shy I was probably spending Twenty percent of my time career coaching. I was an ACD yeah. entitled, right. but I was still a very selfish guy, trying to do as much work as I could myself. And, of course, and establish myself as a writer. That's the hardest. Uh, the the sort of transition between doing and managing is the it's the hardest part because you don't you you don't quite know when you're done doing, and then you're also you got to be a good you know 
manager and 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 sort of boss and and mentor to yeah. people. So it's it's a tough uh, spot there. But you, I want to get into. I, I definitely want to get to uh, Barrett SF. But I just you worked at some at the three of the biggest you know best ad agencies in the world. Um, what do you think? What are the differences? Fallon, Miguel, get Rice when you were there. Uh, then widen, then Fallon again. You're back. Then could be Silverstein. Like what? What? What are the differences between those three places? I, I think of them all as such. They're almost uh, a triptych of of the same. I don't know. There's something the same about all of them, but they're also different uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, um, they are. I, I think, and, and it's interesting because I'm, I'm, they are very different, and they're also the, my time. I didn't. I didn't work at all of them at the same time. You know, I worked. I worked at Fallon in the late '80s, and that that was a you know that agency. It was, you know, any agency is on some level the product of the times. Yeah, that, that they're doing work in, and, and Fallon. If people are familiar with the work they were doing back then, uh, it was it was a more traditional. It was, it was incredibly smart, incredibly clever incredibly conceptual work. Um, but it was, you know, the, the advertising that we were doing and they did, I think you could, you could look at it and go, that's Fallon type work. Right. And, you know, there was a lot of print and a lot of sort of, um, great writing, great art direction. And, and, you know, a lot of headline visual. A lot of big old Bengat headlines. Yeah, and, and and it was it was sort of very, very immediate, and uh, there was breadth and depth to what we and they were doing. But it was uh, it was more I would call it just more cerebral advertising, mm-hmm. um, and so that's where I that's where I, I started, and that's where I you know that was my initial uh, sort of I, I'll call it school, even though it was an agency for advertising, and I and I. I enjoyed that. I, I, I really, I like that kind of advertising. I, even today, even though it's, it's, it's a bit, uh, you know, I think, I think the idea of just great writing is, is, is has become less relevant, unfortunately, in, in some ways, but it's, but it was, it was, it was an awesome place to start. Yeah. And then when I went to, to widen, it was, I mean, arguably at the time, Fallon and Wyden were the two best grave agencies going. And again, I consider myself incredibly fortunate to, to have landed in those places, but um, Wyden was dramatically different. And if anything, there were no there were no preconceptions about what a good ad might what form it might take. Mm-hmm. And if you if you remember, you know, they were doing things like um, the Lou Reed Honda commercial. Yeah. Um, and some of the early Nike stuff. And it was really just, it was, this is cool, or this is entertaining, or this is fun, or this is surprising, or or this has great music, or I love looking at this. It didn't have to be intellectually satisfying. It, just, it had to be, it just had to feel good. Yeah. Um, and that so you was, went from the know, sort of left brain to the right brain, or the other way around, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I don't, I don't want to. Yes, that's exactly right. And I, and I would never want to compartmentalize two great agencies like that entirely, right. because Fallon certainly did, did, and, and we've all evolved agencies yeah. for sure. But at the time, 
they did some emotional work uh, yeah. and some things that were that were less sort of orthodox, I'll call it. And Wyden did some very cerebral work. But yeah. in general, there was a looseness and a, I don't know what an ad is, let's figure it out, right. attitude at, at, at Wyden, which I struggled with mightily in the first three to six months. So I, you were trying to write Fallon ads for Wyden and they were like, yeah, no, that's yeah. a, that's a remember, Fallon ad. Yeah, I remember the very first one of the very first assignments I had was just a simple single page volleyball ad for a volleyball shoe. And I I thought I was writing just I thought I was churning out you know, dozens of just killer headlines. Mm-hmm. And and boy they're, they're gonna be so impressed with this and be so blown away. <laughs> and uh they just looked at it and just I say they I you know, I can't even remember it, but my creative directors just sort of looked at it and went, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's okay. It's pretty good. You know, it's just, it, it was clearly uninspiring to them. They clearly felt of a kind of advertising. Right. And and I just remember like, man, what, what just happened? I just I just traveled 3,000 miles from Shaitan, New York, and, and I I thought I was, that my career path was, was, was pretty good. And yeah. This, it's, not, it's not happening here. And, and that was, you know, I'm making these connections as as I speak, but it was probably a little bit like the Marines, where I was just right. like, it, I was it was very traumatizing, and <laughs> it forced me to reevaluate how I approached given assignment, and um, and it's really just you know, in the case of a printout or a script or anything else, it's just a blank piece of paper, and yeah. it can be anything or everything, and there's no there's no sort of form or or mandatories in, 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 for an idea. Yeah. And, and and once I got my head around that, and once I was able to do that a couple times, it was incredibly liberating. And it was, you know, where Fallon inspired me, uh, that I, I think you're right, the one side of the brain widened and inspired the other side of the brain. And I realized, God, this is, this is open season. You can do what you want. Yeah. And maybe there's some, I got something to give here that's, that goes beyond what I was doing for the last five years. And so, again, very fortunate. And I would, and I see the the seven plus years I spent at Biden yeah. as, as train, training as well in, in a different way. Um, and I, I, my work got dramatically different, and I, I, I did a ton of TV, and, but it was less about different mediums. It was more about just a, a way of thinking. And um, I try, I try, and, and, I'll, and I'll get to Goodby Silverstein, which was awesome as well. I went from Biden to, to Goodby. And I, again, at the risk of overly defining places, I, I would say Goodby Silverstein lived in the middle of those two worlds a bit. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it, you know, I've, I think arguably in a good way, where you could say the work we were doing and they do um, really ran the gamut. Um, yeah. And there was definitely some, you know, Jeff is a, is a, was an English major at Harvard. I mean, he's a very bright, great writer. Yeah. But, uh, and Rich is, is a, a, an awesome art director from that is schooled in, in, you know, uh, more classic, classical art direction from the 50s, 60s, 70s. But they, I probably shouldn't say 50s. Just <laughs> 60s, I don't, 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 don't want to date my friend Rich. Well, he was, um, he was delivering papers in the 50s. Yeah, he was yeah. in the newspaper route. Yeah, but but they 
but they absolutely uh, embraced and hired the, people, the right people and, 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 and sort of continued to, to this day, which is impressive, to be less sort of, it's, I think it be something less, um, it's harder to, to go, oh, that's a good piece of good, good piece of listening work because I think they, they operate on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So that was that was cool, and I definitely, having come from Fallon and White, and with a shortstop at Shiat, tried to to bring that um, that way of thinking as well. So that that worked at Gibby because I think that they were they were like minded. Yeah, they so, they, uh, they wrote something about you when you were leaving, um, which I, I love. Uh, he relentlessly did things others did not do: taking chances, cajoling clients, cajoling clients. Always being intelligent and funny, even if he wasn't in real life, which I which I love is funny. Um, but um, but they, what does that mean uh, that you did other that you did things others didn't do? What 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 did they mean by that? Wow, I, I mean that's that's a great compliment. I I, I don't um, I think I, I mean maybe what they mean is I, I you know for, for a guy who's was as aimless as I, I was and and really lazy, you know, in, my, <laughs> in, my, in, in school and, and, and even, you know, post-school for a while. I, I feel incredibly, I've had a bit of a geeky love affair with advertising. I just, I just love it. Yeah. And I, I just, I love the fact that we're in a team environment among other really cool, interesting Creative, and not just creative department, but just creative people across across the agency landscape. Yeah, that I'm just, I'm just turned on by. I, just, I dig it. And I, and I have fun with it, and um, and so do, doing things other people would do. Maybe what they mean is I I just was, and they use the word relentless. I just I like it, and so I work hard, and I yeah, because I, because I see it as it, it's a hobby. It's a glorified hobby. This whole thing. And <laughs> I, 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 I love making stuff, and I love making funny stuff. I love making serious stuff, yeah, emotional stuff, and I love seeing it fully realized. And so, so it's to me, um, maybe that's what they mean. Is I'm, I, I don't, I, I'll just keep going because I like it. Yeah, and I, I think you also, um, from what I'm hearing from your story, is you, you didn't. You didn't take that criticism uh, when you went to widen and sort of shrink away from it or get angry and sort of lash out at the creative directors and say, you know, fuck you guys. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you know, I came from Fallon, motherfuckers. You could, you know, you could have said that. Um, but you didn't, right? And and also that you um, – the con- the cajoling clients and the I, – I think you're just like – I think starting as a as an account person – was probably a great little foundation for, you know, you got to be able to talk to clients. And uh, I find that that's a, that's a lot of the learning that a lot of creative people have to do is like, you're not just the weirdo that is in the back room making things and then getting mad when they don't buy it. You're also a salesperson. And, and it, you know, I think you, you got good at that somehow. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, no, that's nice you say, I, I actually do think about that sometimes. I, because I, uh, one of the things I say about account people is the, the best thing you can possibly have at an agency is, uh, is, a, is a great account person, and the, the worst thing you could have is a bad account person. And that's my way of saying account people are really important and, yeah. and, and 
having good ones that, that can do what you describe, which is um, keep the train moving, keep people motivated, keep the work smart, keep the relationships um, healthy. Um, I, I, <laughs> I reference this, but I was, I was a bad account person in the sense that I was, right. uh, I was not, I was looking across the, the hallway the whole time. Right. But Pat Fallon, only part, only half facetiously is, is in print saying I was the worst account person in the history of Fallon McGilligan, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I think you're, you're not wrong that I, re- I remember what it was like. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can, I suppose I can empathize a bit. And, and, you know, what also, once you become, you get in a bit more of a creative director position or a leadership position at an agency, um, I think I would never want, I think there's a, we all have to have an account person in us to some extent. Yeah. And we're all interacting with clients and we're all trying to keep morale up and we're all trying to facilitate communication between people and, so, yeah, I think it's a good, whether you start as an account person or not, I think it's something that any good creative person, and I, I actually I actually attribute a lot of the, the most successful creative people, I think the most successful creative people generally have that quality, that they're able to navigate, uh, they, they have that sort of emotional intelligence. And I'm not saying I have that, I just, I'm just saying that, that I, I think the best creative people do they don't just come. They don't just come in, come charging in and say, "Fuck you, buy this," mm-hmm. or anything even even close to that. They 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 sort of see the end zone and they figure out a way to get in there with the best the best work. And a lot of times that that involves getting people on your side and doing it in a way that is that, that doesn't feel uh, that feels like what a good account person would do. You know, yeah. That, that, yeah. About, about building trust and relationships and all that good stuff. So. Um, I look That's, around. I, yeah, I definitely think the best creative people are people that that people are buying that person as much as they're buying the work. Yeah, um, I, I'm conscious of our time, and I want to get to uh, Barrett SF. Um, you got a couple more minutes? Sure. Um, so I love that. Uh, you don't shy away from the word advertising on your site. First of all, I love your site because it's so simple. Uh, and it's just uh, the the way that you uh, set it up. It's just to see the work and see what we do. Um, and you said uh, we want to be the best advertising agency in the world when a lot of people are sort of shying away from that word and saying advertising is dead. It's about content. It's about all these things. But uh, talk about that. Yeah, I mean, that was a very conscious choice, obviously. Um, and it was probably, it was probably. Thank you for liking it. <laughs> There's probably some people who look at it and go, "What? You know, that's a dated word." I, I think that ultimately, advertising is what it would, you know, it was one thing five years ago, something else twenty five years ago, and it's it'll be something different five and ten years from now. Uh, but ultimately, it all falls under the definition of being a great advertising agency and delivering great ideas and smart ideas. And uh, I, I don't want to play the game of let's invent a new language or let's, let's try to find some uh, phrase or collection of words that differentiates us in some bullshit uh, artificial way. 
Yeah. We all want to be we all want to be the best advertising agency in the world, and I thought that was the sort of I, I think that that's the unspoken goal of any good agency. Yeah. And um, so I just thought, look, I can't. I'm not. Not only do I not want to talk in sort of industry um, sort of semantics, I don't know how. Right. I'm just not capable. Yeah. And so I, I just uh, and, and I I do think that. Um, there will be trends, there will be phases, there will be buzzwords, um, but what won't go out of style is, is just doing great work that, that, uh, that works in any number of ways and, and appears in any number of places. And uh, It's going to, at its heart, it's going to consist of words and pictures and great thinking, and uh, we're going to put it in the right places, and uh, we're going to be responsive if it needs to be changed, and you know, it's, it's, I don't, I like to, I'm a, I like to keep it incredibly simple. And I think we all, this is a little bit, you're, you're tapping into a, into a bit of a pet peeve of mine. I think we all tend to try to turn advertising into something despite how the world has changed, despite new media, despite big data, it still starts. The foundation is still going to be what it was. 30 years ago mm-hmm. and it's still going to, you know, it, it, it's not going to be, we're not going to be doing robo marketing. We're going to be doing, it's going to start with smart people putting together great ideas for the right reason. So I like sort of, I like to sort of, um, again, because it's all I'm capable of. I like to <laughs> keep it simple. There, there was a, there's a great, if you guys, if you're, you guys, just you and me, <laughs> if you remember, um, James Carville, the, who was the, uh, the consultant who were campaign manager for, Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. and, he, and he put up uh, on the whiteboard during the campaign, it's the economy, stupid. Yeah. That was their campaign strategy. Yeah. And I, I always love that. It's like, you know, we don't need to, um, we don't need to overcomplicate something. We just need to figure out what we want to say, and we have to figure out a, a, a wonderful and fresh and powerful and differentiated way of saying it and let's and, and let's not let's not uh let's not make it to be any more difficult than it has to be yeah especially when the timelines are getting shorter and shorter uh <laughs> it's hard it's hard to make it complicated when you got to have it next tuesday exactly i mean that's and, and they, i think the world is moving in a direction to your that's a good point that where overthinking is going to be impossible yeah yeah um, so what, what are you excited about with, with Barrett SF? How is it different than the other three agencies or, or, uh, that we talked about? Well, I mean, I would, I would probably say, uh, that on the product on some level of paper out, teaching tennis, the Marines, Fallon, Shiat, Wyden, Bidby, all those things are have been influential for me, and, and and I, you know, I was inspired specifically by the the leaders of those agencies: um, Pat Fallon, Tom McElligot, Jay Shiat, Lee Clow, Dan Wyden, David Kenny, Jeff Goodby, Rich Silverstein. I mean, I've seen it done brilliantly by a lot of different people. And I'm, you know, together with Patrick Kelly, my my co-founder here, and 
all the people I'm looking, I'm, I'm sitting in, a, in an office right now looking out at the, at the people here and all the people that just feel, every day I just feel so, so amazing to me that they sort of signed on to this. I think we're just trying to, to together just, just uh, do something that, that is inspired by the, the amazing examples that, we, that have been set for us and, and do it our way, I suppose, but it's a combination of, of things I've learned and just trying to do it right. That's awesome. We have a, we have a, um, we have time. We have a, um, a, uh, you, you mentioned the site and thanks for, thanks for liking it. We're going to, we're going to be evolving it a little bit soon. And one of the things we're doing is we're putting in a, a new, we're still, we're still going to say we want to be the best advertising agency in the world because we do and, and we'll never be that because no one ever is really. It's sort of one of those things where you just keep trying to approach it. But yeah. We're going to put in a new, we have a new mascot, uh, and it's a, a extremely fast tortoise. Nice. And to me, yeah, to me that, that, that's kind of our best attempt to talk about the kind of agency we want to be. And, and, you know, we want to win the race. We want to win the race for our clients. Uh, we want to do things the right way, like I just said. Um, and we want to do it really, you know, to, to your earlier point, we want to do it by next Tuesday. You know, we want to do it fast. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and so we're trying to, I, I, I want to still be that tortoise that does fucking great ideas and things we can be proud of and things that excite us and things that make us fired up to come in every day. Um, and I want to do it in a way that's mindful of the new world and, um, but I don't want to. I don't want to overreact. I don't want to. Do, I don't want to sort of be the. I don't want to churn out ideas that we don't feel proud of and that um, and become, I suppose, the hair. So we're gonna. We're gonna try. We have been trying. And we're gonna continue to try to be the fast tortoise. And if somebody wants to work at your company, somebody's listening to this podcast and and wants to work there. What What are you looking for? What What's the kind of work or person or thing that you're looking for? And how can they reach you? I, I, I think I, I, I'm, first of all, uh, people I want to, that I'd love to be with every day and that would be willing to hang out with me every day, <laughs> two-way street. But the second thing, and maybe the first thing, is I want them to have a bit of a geeky love affair with advertising, too. Um, I, I find that the best people are the people who are in it because they love it. And that's, that's a pretty cliche thing to say, but face it, I mean, not everybody does. And, um, um, not everybody loves any job, but, I, but it's the people that come in here and go, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'd like to work on that, even though I'm working on these three things over here, uh, because I love it. It's, yeah. it's, my, it's, my glorif- it's my glorified hobby, and I want to make stuff, and... I'm enjoying this and I'm enjoying being part of this group. And, and so, yeah, people who come in just sort of psyched about advertising and um, came to it, not because um, it was, a, you know, I suppose the, the way I did, which was a way to get a job, but because they saw something about advertising that they loved and they wanted to, be, they wanted to do it. I, I love this quote that you said, uh, a good creative person is a technologist, media strategist, event planner, amateur Google researcher, and master presenter all wrapped into one. And if we have a little time left over, we're supposed to come up with good ideas. 
I, I think that sort of, uh, I, I'm sort of ticked off that list and I'm just like, okay, how can I get better at each of those things? And, and it's, it's a really good, it's a good list for people to, to go by. Anyway, thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks for being on. Appreciate you having me on. And who doesn't love talking about themselves Thanks for <laughs> indulging me? It was, um, that was the, uh, the, the brief, uh, for this, uh, podcast series. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I look for, I look forward to the, the, the four hour version of this conversation where I can go even deeper. Yeah, let's do it. We'll do another, we'll do another hour. We're, we're up for it. Yeah. But seriously, thanks a lot. And, uh, no, I mean, having fun out here and thanks for your interest. And the next time I'll interview you. Perfect. It will be, I'll indulge you. It'll be way less exciting. But uh, All right, yeah, I've got stories. All right, Jamie, thank you so much. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. Talk <laughs> soon. You too. So that was my chat with Jamie Barrett. What a guy. Such a great story. He, he fell into it. The man can do anything. He was an account person, became a creative, worked at great agencies. You too can do it. You should probably sign up for Ad House, though. That was such a, a fun uh, conversation. I learned so much. I, I tried not to talk uh, and just let him tell his stories because they were they were so great, especially about Tom McGilligan and that dinner. Oh, my God. I, I wish there was a, a, a movie of that. This has been The A-List brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Thank you for listening. Please rate the show and, and subscribe and, and share it wherever you share things. And if you want to be interviewed for an upcoming episode – Contact us through edhousenyc.com. The A-List is recorded at Gramercy Post in New York City. Our engineer, Matt Stillo.